middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Game. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we need to be documenting the continued downfall of Kansas City Royals baseball. You know, some people, when they go to California, they want to go for the food. Some people go for the weather or the beach, maybe Disney World or the myriad of the other options. You go to the beach, you check out the ladies, maybe you check out the guys on the surfboards. Apparently the Royals did a lot of that because one thing that they didn't do was win a whole lot of baseball games on their recent trip out to California. And with that, we welcome you into the Keeper of the Games podcast. This is big episode number 70 on the CogPod. I am Blake Cripps. Once again, Tommy Castor is on vacation like a bum. I don't know if he actually went to California, but at some point I assume that Tommy will be back. I am joined once again by Weston Mills. Weston, you're man enough to be here, so what do you have to say for Tommy and is not showing up for two weeks in a row? I'm assuming him and his son are just lounging on the couch watching baseball, probably. I mean, wow. losing baseball, that is. I don't. Who knows? He's probably he may have him out at the Wichita Wind Surge, you know, at the Riverfront Stadium. They may be watching Wind Surge baseball. Are the Braves the doing any good? So I'm, I'm just assuming they're just hanging out watching. Yeah, better sure. than they started the season, but uh, you know, I don't know if if baseball season's going great for Tommy. Well, Wind Surge is playing pretty good. To play good baseball. Yeah, so he's have been got that going salty. For him. You are absolutely correct about that. A couple of things before we get into the show, as always. Best way to connect with us is on Facebook or Twitter, Facebook.com/slash Keeper of the Games. You can follow us on Twitter at CogPod. The website is CogSports.com. And the best place every week to get the podcast, of course, is cogpod.podomatic.com. And it uploads just about everywhere that you could get a podcast from Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, Stitcher, and many, many, many more. Uh, Before we get into everything that we've got on the docket today, Weston, there was a lot of big-time sports going on this weekend. NBA Finals or NBA Playoffs was going on, Stanley Cup Playoffs going on, uh, French Open Tennis going on, United States Olympic Trials. Anything really catch your interest this weekend in the world of sports? You know, I I mean, I always – I can't say that I saw anything, but I love Summer Olympics, and and especially it sounds like we've got – you know, in – it's few and far between, but anytime you get any type of local connection, and I'm a sucker for you. I mean, you could just put like, oh, he <laughs> drove through Wichita or lives in the, you know, lived for two months in the KC Metro. Sure. I'm a sucker for automatically rooting for those guys. So uh, I know particularly there's a uh, swimmer in the name because I wasn't prepped for this. There's a swimmer that's that's been training in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, and I think that trial might even be this evening. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's in the 100 meter. Uh, and I couldn't tell you which style because I'm not an avid swim fan. But boy, I love the Summer Olympics. So anytime you get that stuff qualifying, any of that, I'm, absolutely. I'm uh, is it Michael Andrew? Possibly Michael Andrew. Man, yeah, Google. That's it. What a, that what a tool yep. we have at our at our disposal here. Um, so yeah, Michael Andrew. I, I am also all in on the Olympics every single year. I will be watching it. Um, yeah, I'm still a traditionalist where I will watch the traditional you know, time-delayed broadcast on NBC, on the big network. You know, I know everybody, oh, my God, it's not live. Oh, sure. and I, I don't care. I want to sit down and 
I will let Bob Costas tell me what's important. And if he doesn't say it's important, then I don't need to watch it. And I know it's Mike Tirico now. It tells you, tells you how old I am. Speaking of NBC, man, I was all over the French Open. Could not watch the finals. Again, for the women, it seems like for the women, there's two nobodies every single year. It's so crazy. Um, couldn't watch the men's final. I was driving back. But, boy, the semifinal between Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic, unbelievable. Novak won his 19th, so that's where I was in sports. I know that some of you were probably watching the Royals. We've got that coming up on the show today. We'll also talk about the Chiefs completing their organized team activities and a playoff run in hockey on the line tonight for the Wichita Thunder. We're going to get you an update on that as well. But we will begin the show today with the Kansas City Royals. As I mentioned, this was not a good trip to the West Coast in California. Kansas City, 1-6 and six on the road trip, swept by the Angels. They lost three in a row against the A's after winning game one. West and the Royals have now lost eight of their last nine. Dozier and Solaire, bare minimum improvements. Dozier hit 240 over his last 76 for 25. Both of them still hovering under the Mendoza line. And the pitching was basically a disaster for the most part. Not that there were not some bright spots, and there were. But Weston, once again, Royals going out against two teams. I will grant you, they were both playing very well. They were very hot coming in. But if you judge them on the scope of the season, two teams that are just kind of okay in terms of how they've done throughout the year. Royals, maybe you say if you're a Royals fan, they caught them at the wrong time. But one and six on the road trip, I have to feel like that's pretty disappointing for Coach Matheny. Yeah, uh, I mean, especially when you're already have started to dig yourself a hole. Um, you know, we're losing ground rapidly in the AL Central. Yes, they are. Are we 10, 10 or 10, 10 and a half and back? A half back 10, and, that's right. And also uh, six and, then, and a half back in the wild card. I know it's early to think about that, but it's a lot of games. And, well, and, and the reason that's important, obviously, losing games to Oakland or losing games to the Angels, I mean, you know, you don't want AL losses just in general. So uh, that that's not great. Um, you know, uh, well, is, o- is Oakland, o- in, the Oakland is in, in the American League? They're actually leading the American AL, League West. AL West. So they, they're, they're, they're a pretty good team. Probably yeah, yeah, okay. poo-pooed the A's a little bit. But, I mean, the Angels are a game over 500, Weston. And for your prediction to be correct that the well, Royals are going to contend, I know the Angels have got Otani and they've got Mike Trout. They've got great players. I'm not taking that away from them. But, Weston, if you're going to be contending, the Angels are a team you at least got to beat the Angels. Those are the kind of series you got to win if you're the Royals. Well, and to that point, uh, I mean, this is an Angels team without Mike Trout. You're right, he didn't play. Uh, you yeah. know, so, I mean, you got you you have to capitalize when, when you have those opportunities. And particularly an Angels pitching staff that, you know, is is not that great. Well, they're giving up a um, lot so of runs. So you hope that the lineup can in kind fact, of take... In fact, they're the worst pitching the, staff yeah, in the, the American League, certainly, by the way. Well, there you go. And, and that really goes... And, Blake, we've, we've talked about exactly this. We know at this point what to expect out of the, the Royals pitching staff. It, it's not very good. You're going to have, I think, you, you've got four guys on the staff that every now and then could give you a really good game. But for the most part, you're going to expect very, very average to probably below average, and I hate to say it, but that's probably the truth, pitching on a night-in and night-out basis. So, as and I think the, the, I think you really kind of hammered this last week, is... 
you've got to be consistent with the bats if you know that's what you're going to get out of your pitching staff. So it's incredibly disappointing to go in to a series. Now, Oakland does have good pitching, but uh, Los Angeles not. you got to put up some runs and, and kind of hope to take advantage of a, a poor pitching staff. You know, and, and certainly this lineup is just a mess. I mean, with, with Mondi out, now we're looking at Andrew Benintendi out. He, he's he gone on the 10-day IL, uh, just reported today. Got a fracture in his ribs, and he's been, you know, been pretty either your best hitter or your second best hitter to, to Salvi. I think you could, you're could you either going to argue one of those two has been the most important piece to this offense. Um, so, you know, now you're shifting people around in the outfield. Like I said, you're, you've already got... You've already got Mondi still out, or he came back, was out. Dozier is still just looking lost at the plate. There just has not been any signs of improvement. Same with Solaire. Um, you know, he Solaire's funny because I, I do feel like you, you watch him. It seems like there, to me, is a little bit of growth at the plate as far as watching pitches and taking pitches. I don't know that that's necessarily been producing to OBP, and you almost wonder, though, if... He's one of those guys where, like Salvi's done this year, Salvi's been more aggressive this year than he has in the past, and it's actually paying off for someone who you usually say, boy, I wish he wouldn't swing and miss so much. I almost wonder if Soler is kind of in one of those he's corrected too much in the wrong way type of things, you know, trying to get out of a slump, saying, okay, I'm not just going to swing and everything. I'm going to try to find my pitch because I know I can drive my pitch. And almost now to the point where, it's like, man, you're thinking too much. You just need to go up there and swing that baseball bat. Swing hard in case you hit it, Solaire, because you're going to hit it a long dang ways when you do, man. But um, this lineup has just, they've got to do something to straighten it out. And there's some excitement in the minor leagues, but you can only we can only talk about that so much, right? Like either they're ready or they're not. And if they're not ready, then... Okay, that you know, we got to focus back to the major league lineup. Well, what what can we do? And I don't know that there's any immediate well, answer. The, the answer tonight is: um, Can I interest you in down six to nothing to the Detroit Tigers no. in the top of the fourth? No. Royals have five hits in this game and uh, zero runs. And a guy whose name that we have talked about a lot on this show, Weston and Tommy as well. Brad Keller kind of throwing in another little bit of a clunker here tonight. Three and two-thirds innings. He's completed the fourth now. Already allowed six hits, five earned runs, five strikeouts with a walk. So Brad Keller, that pendulum that started out so bad, kind of pulled it together. But tonight, not a quality start at all. And, you know, when you are down this much through four innings, really puts you behind the eight ball. Not all of the starting pitching has been bad. Mike Miner had a really good last start in Oakland. That was the one game that the Royals won on the road trip. Seven innings of work, gave up just three hits, one earned run, and he has lasted at least six innings in five of his last six starts. And the other time, he gave up just one run in five innings against Tampa Bay. Three quality starts in that span for him. I really like what I'm seeing out of Mike Miner right now. On the other hand, you have got Wade Davis, who is all over the map. He looked very competent, very competent against the Angels. Three and a third innings pitched, two hits, one earned run, and then he gets shelled for five hits and five earned runs in one inning against the A's. Uh, Ronaldo Bolaños, he has had a very good start to his June. Three appearances, he joined the team this month. Six innings just over that, one earned run, an ERA of under a run and a half, a whip of .95, an opponent's hitting just 174 against him. And particularly in the game 
that I saw this weekend when he played against Oakland, he's doing a really good job of keeping the ball down in the strike zone. You look at his zone chart, 75% of his pitches are in the lower half of the zone. So he's really doing a good job. He's got fantastic action on his pitches. And I know that Mike Matheny said that he didn't really feel like he had his best stuff. But when you can perform the way that he has and just find a way, and maybe Salvador Perez ought to get some of this credit too, being the catcher, the, if you can do what he's doing without his best stuff, that's a good sign. Keller starting tonight. It was pretty average against the Angels. Not doing good tonight at all. And the next thing I think we got to talk about, you mentioned the minor leagues. Um, we've got some of the top picks from the 2018 draft who have been up here starting at pitcher. Brady Singer. He was pretty good on Friday. Give him some credit. Jackson Kowar looks absolutely lost right now at the major league level. He hasn't gotten out of the mm -hmm. second inning in either of his starts. Mike Matheny said after the game that we haven't seen his stuff yet. Is he going to use his stuff at some point? Because if he isn't, what is he doing in Kansas City? Get him out to the minors because right now, I know that Matheny in the press conference afterwards said, we've seen his stuff. It translates. It plays at this level. Right now, Weston, it's not playing. And if you can't pitch out of the second inning, what are we doing with this guy as the starter for the Royals right now? He's obviously not the answer. Yeah, I, look, the results definitely are, are are not great, and I kind of no, I, they're not. Even though we've we've talked about you know the move that was made with uh, Daniel Lynch in the beginning of the year, we've talked about it ad nauseum. But I kind of kind of like a little that. bit of this. It is, and I'm going to use kind of the same argument that that I had at that time with Jackson Kowar. The Royals are in a tough spot right now. They are running out of options. I mean, what what else? Where else do you go? What else do you do? I mean, that's not a good. That's not an answer or a reason. I mean, it, it just sucks. But that's the truth of the matter. Like, what else is going on? I mean, Brad Keller. So you talk about him. He he's a guy that almost. I feel like they need to give him the Mike Moustakas treatment from five years ago when they sent. You know, Moose was a pretty established big leaguer at that point, but was just lost at the plate. And they said, you know what, we're sending you back down. You got to figure your stuff out while you're not hurting us. I we're we're getting very close to that point with Brad Keller. I think he's got it. Something has to happen. But where else do you go? To that end, last week, Blake, we talked about what, what's with all the you know the the absence on Danny Duffy. I did find one do tweet. Do we have and a I Duffy don't, sighting? I I, we do have a Duffy sighting. And I'm, I wish I could attribute it to somebody, but basically what I what I read was he's throwing hard at 60 feet. Um, which, I think that might be you know, Kansas City Star. Usually, I may have seen that. I think that may be Casey Starr. Yeah, and that's, you know, I mean, that is actually pretty significant. That is usually the last step before guys start actually, right. you know, throwing off the mound or doing a rehab assignment. So, you know, hopefully we're there. That helps. I mean, again, you know, I think you and I have talked about this. We don't expect Duffy to come back and be, you know, the beginning of the season starter that he was. I mean, even if he stayed healthy, I wouldn't expect him right. to be that. But that gives you a solid quality arm, a major league arm you know is going to stay in your starting rotation the rest of the season. Helps give some flexibility if you need to move Brad Keller down, if you need to move Jackson Kowar down. I mean, you do, <laughs> some, you got to do something with Jackson Kowar too, right? I mean, that's not certainly has not been the answer. But I just I, I'm running out of of suggestions. I mean, what who else are you going to? Unfortunately, and that's why we're losing. That's why we're losing baseball games because the answer is right now there is no one else. Well, not only that, but when another guy that we didn't mention, uh, Mr. Bubich, Chris Bubich came up yeah he was it was like he was trying to throw the ball right down the middle 
Because that's exactly yeah. where basically all of his fastballs and his changeups ended up this past week. He had not allowed, I could not believe, I wrote, read this on MajorLeagueBaseball.com, he had not allowed a single home run on his changeup all season. After last week, he has now allowed six dingers on his changeup. Whew. So the changeup has just evaporated for him. One other thing well, I do that... want to mention, oh, go ahead. I was just—I mean—that's an absurd stat. I—that's something you kind of red flag as he's tipping that pitch. I mean, you almost wonder well, if he's tipping the pitch with that kind of number. Listen, I—I I would never. I mean, either way, it's bad. I would never ever put myself in the same category as any major league pitcher. So when I bring you this analogy, just understand—I was never as talented as any of these guys at any level of my pitching career, but. I do know that there are times when your pitch can get away from you. There was a time when yeah. I was pitching, and I think it was in middle school, and we were on a pretty competitive team. Um, you know, we were com- we were competing to to go to the NBC World Series for our age group, which was 16 under, 14 under, whatever it was. We finished third in Kansas mm. that year, so we were pretty darn good. Um, weren't as, weren't good enough to make it, but we were pretty darn good. And you know, to start the year, I was throwing a circle change, and boy, they, the bottom was falling out on that pitch. It was nasty. But I got away from the pitching instructor, got out to the diamond, and I just kind of lost it. And I never got it back the rest of the year. And so Mm -hmm. pitches can just kind of leave you like that. One more subject on the other other half of the plate. Um, Hanser Alberto has been putting some nice plate appearances together for the Royals. Now, his last game, the last two games against Oakland, he was 0 for 5. But you look over his last seven, he's hit 350. I'd like to see him get a regular shot in the lineup. What are you keeping Dozier out there for? I don't feel like it's that big of a defensive change where you really feel like Alberto's hurting you defensively versus Dozier. Um, I think that Hanser Alberto, with the way he's hit the ball recently, why not throw him in the lineup? And give him the starting lineup. I know that there's economics probably involved, and they're paying Dozier money. Maybe they're not paying Alberto money. I don't really know, and I don't really care. You know, you and Tommy are the guys who like to talk about the draft and unsigned free agents and high school signing day and contracts. I don't care about contracts. What are you doing for the team? Hanser Alberto has, with his last two starts discounted, he's hit the ball pretty well recently. Why not give him a look? And put Dozier on the pine for a while because Dozier, I realize over the last seven, he is hitting better. He went six for 25, 240, whereas before he was hitting like barely a buck 20 or something like that. So maybe he is starting to slowly come around. But Henzo Roberto's hit the ball pretty well. I'd like to see him get a regular shot. Well, and I I mean, I, I definitely don't disagree with that. I think the problem with... I don't know, as you say, a regular shot, I don't know if you mean at necessarily at third base, is he is so versatile defensively. Um, I is. think it's he kind of hard. Right, it's hard to lose lose that. And my question is, I mean, what, what's, what would be your hesitation as opposed to, and maybe you, you don't, you're just particularly focused on um, old Hunter Dozier. Uh, my Dozier, thought is maybe it, not it makes – makes more sense at, at shortstop, you know, and that kind of giving you that op- opportunity to move Nicky back to second, his natural position, get Witt back in the outfield, and then that gives you the opportunity to, you know, sit 
I mean, I know I know Solaire's not playing in the outfield as much, DH, but but Dozier's really playing a lot of right. You know, I mean, you can get Kelvin right, that's true. Gutierrez or whatever, but I think defensively, you'd really like to see Hanser Alberto's glove maybe more over at short because Nicky's not been. He's definitely done better. I know we talked about in the beginning of the season he was making some errors at shortstop because it wasn't his natural position. I think he has settled in. He's definitely no Mondi. I agree. He's certainly his natural position second, but he has settled in. But Hanser Alberto, you know, like like you said, while he's also while he's had a good last week and a half of, of plate appearances. He's also very good defensively. So, I, you know, I definitely have no hesitation with that. My question is, though, is at, at what point, what is keeping the Royals from calling up Bobby Witt, calling up Nick Prado? You, you already know, these answered your question. That are showing You and Tommy answered your own question before the season. You said they were ready to win right now. If you think you can, you have a roster that can win right now with Benintendi and these guys that you have brought in, then you don't bring up those guys like well, that. You bring up those guys when you're not in contention. But no, but that's my point, though. Is I mean, unless you think that Hanser Alberto is the guy to help you win baseball games now, why are we wasting? And this is maybe my point. It's more going back to your point on Hunter Dozier is why are we wasting time? trying to make things work with Hunter Dozier, or why are we wasting time making things work with Nicky Lopez at short? And I know he's, you know, it's been this or that, but my, and again, so if that's the answer, then I'm okay with it. If the answer is Bobby Witt or Nick Prado is not ready, I agree. We're, we, the team thinks they're in win mode now, whether that's right or wrong. Of course, we've been debating that all season, but the team thinks they're in win mode. So my question is, from what I'm seeing, I think we've got to be getting close to at least a conversation about Bobby Witt or Nick Prado being called up because they look like they could help the major league team at this at this point. But here's my question. To your because, point. Well, I got a question well, for you. I was going to say, to your point, Hanser Alberto is playing shortstop tonight. Oh, good. Dozier is in right field tonight. Witt's at second base uh, Kelvin Gutierrez is at third base, okay. and you've got Olivares in the in the outfield at left field. So they they are kind of breaking up defensively, as you may have suggested or predicted, right. at least so far tonight. Right. So so here's my question, and this is I'm going to ask you this question: if the if the season starts to go in the other direction, the direction that we well that it is currently going, but that we hope the direction does, that we hope it doesn't keeps go. going the way it is. That's right. So we come to the trade deadline. Obviously, we know what that means. What do you? What is your thought? The rich thoughts? get richer, and there's a sell-off for people who are not playing. Well, well, what do you think about this? To me, I think one of the best moves the Royals could make would be to trade Andrew Benintendi. He's only signed through 2023, so that means you have got a one and a half years left. So, there, I don't think there's any player you could get a bigger return mm. for than Benintendi out, out, outside of obviously you know Salvador Perez, Whit Merrifield, who I think are probably non-tradables at this point in their Royals career. So you've got a year and a half left of of, of Bendy, and you certainly you traded for him at his probably at his lowest, and you would now be able to trade for him at his highest. So you know you traded Franchi right. Cordero, and there was a pitching prospect that didn't really ring a bell with me at the time I read the name, you certainly are going to be able to get back something in return and potentially a very close to major league ready. Pro- I mean, that's, that would really be the only way it makes sense for the Royals, right? If you can get a prospect back who is ready or Somebody close to pitch. ready. Right. Exactly. Um, boy, I, if, if it would make the front office look pretty bad 
if you are going from, hey, the Royals are ready to win now, we got Benintendi, to trading him in less than a season. Mm. Economically, maybe it's a good deal. You know, I, I'm, I'm not the expert on that. That I don't know if the Royals fan base would really enjoy that, getting a guy in. He's hitting well. I mean, he, he's played very well. Santana has played well, too, and he's, he's two for two tonight, so give him some credit. Uh, hey, Royals scored. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Six to one now. Tigers in the bottom of the fourth. But um, Santana's kind of fallen back. No, he's playing really good tonight as, we've rec- as we're recording this on Monday, so you're going to know the final score by the time this comes out on Tuesday. I don't know what kind of a message that sends to the clubhouse to get rid of a guy like that already. Economically, yeah, maybe it does make sense. Here's the other thing, too, that's kind of frustrating. You keep talking every week, oh, Mondi, Mondi, Mondi. Where, where is he? Yeah. This is Danny Duffy 2.0. Is he ever coming back? Like, the guy didn't lose a limb. He didn't have, like, his hand cut off. Where is he? I, I don't hear anything about... When he's coming back, is he coming back after the All-Star break? Is he coming back in a week or 10 days? He seems like he's just on the indefinite disabled list right now. Where is Mondesi? Yeah, I mean, it's been, and that's not just this season. It's, it's been a, a reoccurring theme for his career, it's been an which issue. is very unfortunate. And again, I think you and I both kind of were in agreement when we talked about this last episode. I mean, you know, it sucks. Some guys are just injury prone and some guys you truly do question, you know, hey, how how hard are they rehabbing? How how much do they want to be out there? And it sucks because you don't know, right? You, you have no idea. Is Mondi just really getting hit with bad luck or is this a problem? You know, and it's just hard to ever have a good idea on that. But man, at some point, I mean, you have to be back on the field. We can only talk about Mondi coming back to the lineup so much. And at some point it has to has to produce. But you know, the only other thing I'll mention real quick on, on the, the Bend and Tindy trade is I absolutely agree with you. I think the optics of it will not be good. But in my mind, there's there is no doubt if you were to make that trade, if you were to trade him. And of course, this is a scenario the Royals are only going to sell if they're clearly out of the picture come the deadline. Um, I don't think right. they, I don't think they'll be in any position at any point that they would make trades early. I think it would be very close to the deadline when it is clear that this season just didn't work out for them. Uh, but there is no doubt that if they move Benintendi, they will get more for him in return than what they had to give up for him to get him. But again, I don't agree with that. A majority that. of your fans, I don't think, will be able to to grasp that and understand that. And in part, that that's just the way ba- baseball is built. I mean, you'd, it's so hard for the average fan or even above average fan to know what minor leaguers are or are not worth. You know, oh, did we get this value in return? It's just so hard for the average or above average fan to be able to grasp that and have any idea. I mean, heck, we have a podcast. Blake and we, we proclaim to talk sports and no we idea. yeah we would not be able to be like oh yeah that's the minor leaguer we got oh that's a great trade plus five for the and we we do preface the show with wildly <laughs> that's unqualified right. for that's a reason right. that's right but uh, so what one thing uh, you know just to close the book on the Royals and Alberto Mondesi uh, he was placed on the ten day disabled list with a left hamstring uh, strain retroactive to june 4th so theoretically he's coming off tomorrow or yeah because today's the 14th so theoretically he's coming off the dl tomorrow um but he lost all of april to an oblique strain i think so man there they are the injuries are kind of piling up a little bit for adalberto mondesi right now 
in the fourth inning. Uh, in fact, the fourth inning just completed as we're watching it here. Six to one Detroit. Detroit, obviously, they have had more than their struggles. Detroit currently is even four games back of Kansas City, four and a half back in the wild card and the Central. Chicago leads the Central at 41 and 24, followed by the Cleveland Indians at 34 and 28. Then the Royals. Cleveland is five and a half back for the division, one and a half back for the wild card. Then Kansas City at six and a half back in the wild card. Detroit and Minnesota are lost at 26 and 39. And uh, the bottom half of the AL Central all with losing records over their last 10 games. So not a very strong division right now, but boy, the Chicago White Sox come ready to play. Winners of four in a row and with the best run differential in the league, plus 106. But of course, you're playing uh, Detroit and Minnesota all the time. You probably ought to be pretty good. Moving on to another team in Kansas City because this is Keeper of the Games. We talk about sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. The Kansas City Chiefs have finished up their OTAs. And I know that this isn't really football season, but we are getting kind of close. And let's be honest, we're in the dog days of summer. We got to have something to talk about. So we're talking Chiefs today. Weston. One of the big, big stories as the Chiefs completed OTAs and they get set for their mandatory minicamp coming up later this week. Big injury to Kyle Long. According to the NFL Network, a fractured kneecap that could keep him out, or actually their words was should keep him out of training camp this summer. However, they say that he could be ready for week one of the season. He tweeted out on June 10th at KY, the number one, E long. I did everything I could to get back for football. Zero regrets. I've been getting better every day and having so much fun with my new team, focusing on controlling the things I can control yesterday. Not one of those things. Thanks for the well wishes. Obviously the offensive line was a position that was decimated last season because of coronavirus with Dr. Laurent Duverde, uh, Duverde Tardif moving up and, you know, doing his civic duty in Canada, treating coronavirus patients. And plenty of injury situations and problems down the stretch that probably hampered the boys in red and gold in the Super Bowl. What are your overall thoughts on the Kansas City Chiefs and what they have gotten accomplished, the injuries? And there have been some guys coming back from OTAs as well. What are your thoughts on the Chiefs as they complete organized team activities and get set for their mandatory mini camp here as we yeah, approach. Yeah, I mean, summer. I think you nailed it. The the Kyle Long injury definitely was the the news really of OTAs out, outside of some uh, colorful remarks from Le'Veon Bell, who's no longer even a part of the team. We'll get to that later. Uh, yeah, right. so uh, obviously fracturing his, his kneecap, not good. Like you said, sh- certainly some suggestion he could be back week one. Whether he is or isn't, I'm not overly concerned about that. I think he definitely is the favorite to play right guard, but, but the way they revamped this offensive line, there are a lot of options um, to, to move guys around. You know, Obviously, we're, we're going to have uh, Orlando Brown starting at left tackle and Joe Tooney at left guard. That is pretty much set in stone. Then at center, um, this is kind of where I think there's some creativity and what gives you some flexibility with Kyle Long's Injury, uh, you know, Chiefs drafted Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma, signed Austin Blythe this offseason. Uh, I think Blythe probably, you know, at OTAs getting getting uh, center one snap reps. 
first team reps. Um, I think Creed Humphrey probably wins that job by the time training camp's over. Obviously, being the rookie, he's going to be behind the the vet in, in Blythe as, as OTAs go on. I think Blythe's a guy that has some flexibility, could move over and play guard if need be. I know uh, the Chiefs were excited about signing him, uh, played with the Rams previously, but then also backing up Kyle Long is Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who was the starting guard for the Super Bowl champion. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs back in 2019. So, you know, you're not, I, I, while we don't know what LDT is going to bring to the table coming off that year, like you alluded to, um, as a Chiefs fan, you certainly have to feel comfortable that if Kyle Long is not ready, that LDT steps in there and certainly does it at a bare minimum, a serviceable job. I mean, maybe Kyle Long could do it better, but I think sure. you got to feel comfortable with, with what's going on with, um, LDT slide in there if, if Long's not ready. And then going over to right tackle, certainly you have um, – that's probably going to be one of three position battles that I think are going to be interesting coming out of OTAs and going into training camp. You know, you've got Mike Rimmers who returned. I know a lot of Chiefs fans uh, do not like the name Mike Rimmers after just focusing on his, his um, left tackle performance in the Super Bowl. That is not his natural position. He, right, well, remember, that's he played not well his natural right position. tackle for – Throughout the season, he really, really did. If you go back and check, he did he play did. well. Now, can they upgrade and should they focus? He got graded out pretty well. I don't yeah. know if he graded out elite, right. but he graded out right. pretty Absolutely. well so, at that I mean, position. You, you, that's a pretty good floor to be setting with, going in with him at right tackle. And then I think there's a lot sure. of expectation that Lucas Niang, again, another, I mean, essentially I'll call him a rookie because he took all last year off. Um, you know, in his this will be his first season with the Chiefs after being drafted in 2019. I think a lot of folks expect him to kind of take that step forward and, and take that spot from Mike Rimmers. He's a really good tackle, played left tackle at uh, TCU, and they're now that we're far enough removed from when he was drafted, the stats are going to elude me the the exact numbers. But really impressive, you know, sack given up rate throughout the his college career was a guy that really protected his quarterbacks well at TCU. So I think Rimmers and Niang probably. Will be one of the more exciting uh, training camp battles. And a couple of the others that I, th- I think, you know, we'll all be focused on, and, and you may have some thoughts on both of these different positions too. At wide receiver, certainly they'll be kind of, and this is when I say wide receiver too, but it's going to be kind of a flux because there's certainly there's a difference between an outside wide receiver and a slot wide receiver, and the Chiefs kind of can. But in Andy Reid's offense, they mix stuff up so much. I That's mean, right. Andy Reid that... will line up guys anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like, you know, like a slot receiver. Like Andy Reid will line up, you know, the cheetah at running back sometimes. So, I mean, in that offense with he and Eric Bieniemy, right. brain, you know, the masterminds behind everything, I don't even feel like the, the you know, the X or the Y or the Z. It doesn't even matter. Just throw them out well, there. And that's, and and that's kind of my point why, why I do think that the, the wide receiver two, if you will, who, you know, and maybe I'm not so much focused on X or X, Y, or Z as I am. Who, who, Yes, who's the Maybe wide receiver behind Tyreek Hill? Obviously, we know Kelsey. You know, is going to be the, the actual second in targets behind Tyreek, if not ahead of Tyreek. But who's that guy after Tyreek right. that that gets the focus of the ball? I think we're looking at you know definitely McCall Hardman. Does he finally take that step forward? Byron Pringle, they like and they like him a lot. I mean, we've seen little blurbs of good football out of him, but it is year three. 
Yeah, and I he's like done great. I mean, he'll teams. be on the roster, no doubt, just because he provides so much to special teams. But I think there's an expectation that he might take a step yeah. forward. Then, of course, Demarcus Robinson. And this is kind of where I, I say it gets interesting because, you know, Demarcus has played some out of the slot. McColl almost kind of feels like he is more of a, a – has the ability to kind of play what a traditional slot wide receiver would do. Then they obviously drafted Cornell Powell out of Clemson. I kind of – I don't have a whole lot of expectation. Um, had a real productive career at Clemson um, and comes in probably maybe a little more NFL re- – you worry about that he you might know, be a system kind of a guy rather than, you know, because everybody at yeah, Clemson no, just so puts numbers, crazy numbers wise. Yeah, definitely product of a system and, and having Trevor, Trevor Lawrence throw him the ball. Um, but really, yeah, right. And, you know, but That's then I think nice. on the flip side, uh, you know, he's definitely knows how to run the routes. I mean, in Dabo Sweeney's system, you're going to learn how to run routes like an NFL wide receiver. So that's ready. But I definitely think the expectation is Cornell Powell's probably not a this-year-ready kind of guy. But, you know, who knows? And then the the wild card at wide receiver that I'm really interested in is Antonio Callaway. And I don't know if you remember the the blurbs of really good football he's had with the Browns, a guy that's had some off-field issues, had locker room issues. Andy Reid is typically a, a master at being able to bring these guys in and at, at, a, at a minimum have them, you know, behave themselves in the locker room. Not always does he get the most out of them on the field, but usually has right. no issues bringing those guys in and taking them under his wing. He is a really, really talented football player. I think that's a, a name that people have forgotten about. And I don't mean just chiefs fans. I think NFL fans in general that might sneak in and you could really see, take a step forward with the chiefs this year. So I think wide receiver is, is a very exciting position to look at. Um, and then the other one, before I, I'll kind of get, let you give give some thoughts on both these positions or whatever Chiefs you want to talk about, but the other one is who's going to be cornerback number two. And this is kind of the same conversation as wide receiver because it's not necessarily cornerback number two, but cornerback number two and nickelback. Obviously, we know Charvarius Ward. He's he's going to be the, the cornerback number one on the depth chart. You know, he's going to be out there every snap that he's healthy. But then on the outside, is it Legereus Sneed? Is it Rashad Fenton? Is it DeAndre Baker? And then really any of those guys can play in the nickel as, as well. Um, with Juan Thornhill hopefully being a full season removed from his health injuries, I expect to see him more out there at safety. Does that allow, like I kind of mentioned last year, Tyran to really move around the field depending on formations? Maybe you see him up in the nickel if, if the, the offensive formation dictates it, and that actually kind of keeps Fenton or Baker or Jerry Sneed off the field. I, I kind of think Sneed's going to be the one that kind of is your everyday cornerback cornerback number two. Then depending on formation and offensive strength and strategy, you might see a combination of those things. Um, and another, I'll give you one name like I did with the wide receivers. Another name to watch for in the corner, cornerbacks is DiCaprio Boodle. And I don't, first of all, fantastic name. You know I, you know you only I love like names, him because Blake. you're a name guy. Don't, don't even try, don't even try to spin this like you've broken down any of his film. You said, oh, there's a guy named Boodle. But here's the He's best part, Blake. I was literally player. getting ready to follow it up saying, I don't know much about DiCaprio Boodle. I just love his name. And secondly, and oh secondly, I he just already knew. I feel like I continuously see tweets from some of these Kansas City uh, insiders or, you know, some of the blogs up here that are pretty good that keep saying, hey, keep hearing his name mentioned at press conferences or, you know, sure. seems to be doing well in the field. But just DiCaprio Boodle, it's a great name. Keep an eye out. 
So I don't know if you have any thoughts on on those position battles or if if there's anything yeah, else you're excited for, you know, as we now approach training camp and have kind of progressed out of OTAs. Uh, defense. Did you play offense or defense, defense I, when you were playing football? I was going to say, like, <laughs> you, all you talk about is offense, offense. Like, yeah. Yeah, thank goodness at the end you finally brought up defense. I did want to bring up Charvarius Ward because we did get some news on him last week. Him, yeah. him signing his restricted free agent tender, $3.4 million in 2021. Started 29 games over the past two seasons after joining the team in 2018. 125 tackles the last two years with two picks, 16 passes, defense to sack, and three quarterback hits. And as you mentioned, most are projecting him to be the starting left cornerback this year. Bashad Breland, who had been in that mix, signing a free agent deal with the Vikings, he had been the starting right cornerback. So it's good to get one cornerback locked up under contract, but that creates the vacuum with all those guys that you talked about. One guy that I want to mention that we haven't mentioned at all is Willie Gay Jr., declaring to the world that he is 100%. Second-year linebacker over his knee injury that occurred on the Chiefs' run to Super Bowl 55. Torres Meniscus also had that high ankle sprain in the 2020 season finale, so he was all kinds of banged up. 16 games played, 8 games he started with 39 tackles, a sack, three passes defense and a forced fumble in the limited time that we saw him. Saw streaks of, man, this guy could be really good, and I think to have him healthy will add another element to the Chiefs' defense. Damian Wilson signed a free agent deal with the Jaguars. Chiefs are going to need more from Gay this season. That kind of creates a little bit of a need for Gay to kind of step up into that role because there's going to be a lot more snaps available for him. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention is another guy that wasn't talked about at all, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick remember, he's coming off of off-season toe surgery. Patrick Hill? And earlier in the month, <laughs> say again? Oh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Patrick who? Patrick, the guy, uh, probably the guy whose jersey it you is. have on right now. But I now. have the jersey. Actually, it's probably a T-shirt. Um, but apparently, <laughs> uh, I, I'm glad you do. And, and, and as well, you should. But apparently, th- looking really good in practice, practicing trick throws, he talked about that. And I wanted to also mention before we wrap up on the Chiefs, the fact that there are so many teams, Weston, that have skipped the offseason in person this year due to coronavirus, but the Chiefs have reported high participation. And I think that that shows leadership from Reed, ownership, and Mahomes, that they understand you've got Kelsey. I think that they, this core realizes that they have got the chance to do something really, really special. And it's that leadership, that enthusiasm that is bringing guys to practice. I don't know if any of these guys really, they're probably some of these guys, like Peyton Manning always was very open that he hated the practice rule changes because he loved to go to practice. He wanted to have more practice time, not less practice time. Um, I don't know if there are a lot of football players like that, but I get the feeling that when you've got a brain trust like, Eric Bieniemy working with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes that that just makes guys on the offense want to come to work and the Chiefs defense had you know they made had made so many strides from the 
first time when they kind of got cut up in the AFC Championship game. I think they want to get back to the more dominant level that they had played during the Super Bowl winning season a couple of years ago and just keep that a high level. I feel like everybody's really pushing themselves right now, and I think that's a really good sign that the Chiefs have had such high participation. I think people really want to play and win for Andy Reid. We've seen that with the players that they have brought in and just, just the performances and, and what Andy Reid has done going back way before Patrick Mahomes was even you know, a thought of Andy Reid coming to the NFL. Uh, the this level of consistency that he has had. Now, that goes for, I think everybody respects Andy Reid. Apparently, <laughs> Le'Veon Bell thinks that he's just a POS because he tweeted out that he'd never I'd never play for Andy Reid again. I'd retire first. Now, he later qualified, this was yesterday, said, I said what I said, and I don't regret at all what I said. For those who have a personal problem with me, because of what I said, that's fine. You have your right. Just understand I also have my right for how I feel about my personal problem with dude. I'm assuming he meant the dude because of what he said to me. Um, I, he's First of all, he's the coach. So if he wants to criticize you, that's his right. But what did you make of Le'Veon Bell? Personally, I, I like the move at the time. I think that it provided depth. Le'Veon Bell, when he is playing at his level, is an all-pro player. But at this point in his career, I have to say – I'm not super broken up about Bell not being a part of the Chiefs organization moving forward. No, I, I'm sure this stems around probably some sort of promises or comments made at the time that Le'Veon Bell signed with him about his playing time and expectations. But, you know, whatever comments were made to him, if Le'Veon Bell came in and played like Le'Veon Bell used to play, they would have, there would have given him no, the ball more. That's right. There would have been no keeping him off the field. So it's hard to take into consideration. You saw, you know, Tyron Matthew had a, a response or he, I think he commented on sports centers comment on Le'Veon Bell on Instagram. Cause you know, that's the world we live in these days, more or less just saying, you know, everybody wants to whine these days and nobody wants to work hard, something to that effect. Uh, so, you know, I think the honey badger weighed in, weighed in on that too. But <laughs> I mean, is Le'Veon Bell maybe the only player that you've ever heard complain about, Andy Reid, it just, it seems like you never, Terrell never Owens? have players. <laughs> that's Maybe? a big asterisk. Yeah, 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 that's probably, probably be right, though. I mean, it's just been so, I, you know, it, it's pretty much at this point, and I, I saw a joke that Le'Veon Bell saying he'd rather retire than play for Andy Reid, and people suggesting that Le'Veon Bell's been retired since 2017, so I think mm. that that's working out just fine for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think there's much more afterthought of that. I'll tell you what, in transitioning, th th so... Speaking of the running back room, I, that is a position also I'm excited to see this year. What kind of growth do we see out of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Yeah, I think he I'm played a lot him. better than people gave him credit for last year um, just because the, the actual stats and numbers weren't there. But, I mean, in this offense, so many guys are – receiving. He can – That's he, right. You know, it's all purpose. Pe listen, people, the days of Emmett Smith and running the ball 35 times a game – they're probably done. I'm not going to say for forever because there's always ebbs and flows. The game evolves. There's probably going to be an Adrian Peterson type back that's going to come out of Oklahoma or Texas. Probably not Texas. Texas stinks these days. But somebody, and they're going to be that kind of a guy that can do that. But, I mean, when's the last time we had a running back like that have a season like that? It just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. So you, you've got to recondition yourself that – Okay, you know, doing what he does, you know, 
is fine. You know, not everybody's going to be Christian McCaffrey, okay? Doing well, what Clyde Edwards-Hilaire does, that for in a Patrick Mahomes offense, you just need to keep teams honest. And I think that he can do that. I'm not saying that he can't get better. I'd love to see him get seven, 800. I'd love to see him rush for 1,000 yards, obviously. But the days of Priest Holmes just going berserk on the ground against people, that's probably not going to happen anymore. Well, and that's exactly right to the effect of, I mean, in this offense, there's so many guys to get the ball to. So you can still be playing really, really well. But, hey, you know what? They're trying to get the ball 12 times to to Travis Kelsey. They're trying to get the ball 12 times to Tyreek Hill. You know, they're trying to to work, you know, work some gadget plays to McCole Hardman. So there's just some, you know, limitation on what it's going to happen. But another name out of the running back room that I'm excited to see kind of as that, you know, spell. I mean, this is Claude Edwards. He's going to be the second. He's RB1 guy now, probably. Right. So the guy I'm looking to is Jarek McKinnon. They signed him out of, well, San Francisco last year, but a guy that uh, really kind of made his name in Minnesota. Um, He is really, really talented. He has not been able to stay healthy. He stayed healthy pretty much all last year with San Francisco. It was kind of buried in, in that system. Uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan, he just he likes to use a lot of running backs. He likes to keep teams guessing. He doesn't want anybody, any one guy to take that shine so that you can't game plan for a particular guy. Kind of got lost up in that backfield. But he is fast. He is explosive. He is a, now removed from almost a full healthy season, which he has not had in a while. I think he could be a really good complement to Clyde Edwards-Slayer. So I'm excited to see what he could do. Uh, one other note that I'd like to add before we move on. Yeah, uh, I did. I failed to mention you brought up Bashad Breland signing with the Vikings. Forgot about us acquiring Mike Hughes, cornerback uh, from yeah, sure. Minnesota, and he will likely start at nickel. I, I would think so. That that's a name I should you certainly don't think mention. He figures into the right cornerback spot at all. I don't think so. I think they brought him in because he has done really well at nickel. He's kind of a specialist in that sense. But the Chiefs play. They play their nickel formation, I would venture to guess 75% of the time. Maybe that's a little sure. bit high, but they're in nickel all the time. So if you're a starting nickel, you're, I mean, you're, you start on you're the Chiefs defense. Yeah, pretty much. So that's another name that I, I failed to mention, but uh, I expect him to get a lot of reps this year. The Chiefs holding their mandatory three-day minicamp coming up this week. It's actually going to be starting today as you are consuming this podcast on Tuesday for the Keeper of the Games, and it will wrap up on the 17th. So the Chiefs edging ever closer to the upcoming NFL season. Final segment of the show tonight. Uh, Don't have a lot to say about this, but we've got to, to comment on it. The Wichita Thunder forcing a game five with a 4-2 win in their first round series. This is a Western Conference semifinal series in the Kelly Cup playoffs. The Thunder losing game one on Tuesday last week, 3-2. They come back with a 5-2 win on Wednesday. Then they lose 3-0 at Fort Wayne. And because of minor league hockey, this is the way it typically always is, the one team will get the first two games at home and then the last three games will be at the lower seeded team Um, just to save on travel costs obviously there's a big big advantage if you win those first two games thunder didn't do that but they did win 4-2 on saturday to force the if necessary game five tonight which is in action at fort wayne 6.27 to go in the third period, and the game is tied at 3-3. The Comets 
had apparently scored the game-winning goal with 9.09 remaining to go ahead 4-3. However, it was reviewed and nullified, no goal. And so the Thunder and the Comets playing for a spot in the Western Conference Finals. The playoff format this year is much different. Only four teams are making it from each of the two conferences due to coronavirus protocols. Obviously, if they had known months ago that everything was going to be opened up and the CDC was going to say, hey, if you've got your immunizations, do whatever the hell you want, probably would not have done it this way. But they have to operate with the best information they have at the time. And so it's only eight teams getting in. Obviously, the Thunder, one of the top seeds, in their half of the conference. So uh, big time opportunity for them. I know that our boy Malzi is on the call right now. You can get more information, win or lose. We'll pass it along if we have it by the time we stop recording today. But WichitaThunder.com, uh, the next round of the playoffs for the Kelly Cup playoffs, uh, that would be at Interest Bank Arena. They had to play the first round at the Wichita Ice Center because of conflicts with concerts. Yeah, concerts are coming back now at Interest Bank Arena. But the second and third round games will be at Interest Bank Arena. The atmosphere, I watched video. The Thunder crazy people, I mean, they say, you know, they're, they're thought of as the most annoying f- fan base in the entire ECHL and they got that designation in the Central Hockey League for years and years and years, they were loud. I mean, it didn't look like a real hockey arena, but you could feel the energy watching the game at the Ice Center as they came back, got a big late goal, an empty netter, to finally put that one away on Saturday in Game 4. They were there. They were loud. They were dressed in blue. Uh, it was a fantastic win for them. Beg your pardon on Wednesday to level the series at five to two uh, in in Wichita. So, really hope that they get to see another big game. Obviously, I know that losing that first one very disappointing, but they really showed up for that second game. The empty netter and the place went. crazy. Crazy West, and I hope that they will be able to come back to Interest Bank Arena. But uh, obviously, you know, you get into this part of a hockey game with under seven minutes to go and tied. It's it's at this point, it's it's maybe one bounce, one bad line change, or one bad turnover, and that's the season for you. So hopefully, the Comets will make it. Hopefully, it will not be the Thunder committing that one big bad play because it seems like most of the time that's what it comes down to: taking a bad penalty, making a bad line change, or the you know getting one bad bounce on the ice can make a, a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and especially you. Yeah. <laughs> This is a silly comment to make because, of course, you want them to win. But you'd hate the the Thunder have yeah. done such a good job this season. I mean, you've got you know ECA ECA navigating H- the pandemic, yeah, and they've got ECL HL Coach of the Year Bruce Ramsey. You know, they've got MVP Deserve of it. the of the uh, ECHL in um, Anthony Beauregard. So I mean, you 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 put some Deserve individual it. awards that are fantastic for the Thunder organization, but. All that means so little if you can't capitalize, win a championship that that mm-hmm. you're that you're seeking for. And like you said, I mean, we're now within. And this was as of five minutes ago, uh, or actually as of nine minutes ago. We were with six minutes left in regulation. So there's probably some updates coming anytime. Okay, keep refreshing Twitter anytime. And, uh, two minutes left in regulation, and it's three to three still. 
So Jason Malzi at this point has got to be losing his mind on the call for this game. I believe you can still get all the streams on the sin bin, which yeah. is what he told us mm-hmm. before. So um, well, hopefully you guys are able to follow. We'll keep you up to date as we go to the podcast. I know this is already yep. going to be in the in the back burner as as you watch this uh, on on the stream or on demand. But anyway, we're we're paying attention, and and it, it is a very big big story for Wichita sports. Running out of sh- out of show here, so it's time to hit the music. Time for a Wichita whip around a story from the local Wichita sports scene that you probably missed this week that we think that you shouldn't have. Weston, what is your whip around? This week. I've got I've got two, so I'm gonna stay uh, with. What a shock that you don't follow well, the rules. Well, you know, I, I I just this is my this is my favorite segment, so I really gotta you know take advantage when we're here. So I've got two, yeah, two, yeah, and they're yeah. both related. Well, give me to, one. I'll, okay, I'll start with one. That way, I don't take yours. We're gonna go Wichita State. We're gonna go Wichita State basketball, but kind of not. We're gonna talk the TBT okay. because it's a fantastic tournament. Everybody loves it. It's gonna be back in full force this year. Sure. Um, the aftershocks, the team that is made up of Wichita State basketball alumni. Wichita That's State right. players. They have announced that Terry Murray will be joining the team this year as he has signed. I'm always, I always wow. think it's curious. I mean, you know, they sign with the team, and I know that's just for like a percentage of the winnings based on, you know, I guess whatever they negotiate yeah. with the player. But pretty big uh, get. I mean, you know, 2012 alumni scored 1,500 career points, was a two-time MVC all-defensive team selection, and it was part of that 2011 uh, NIT team. Terry Murray, was he was always really fun to watch, so I, I can't imagine that he will be any less fun to watch in the TBT. So, uh, fun announcement and big signing for the Wichita State TBT team, the Aftershock. Absolutely. My Wichita Whip Around story also stays with Wichita State, but we're talking Wichita State <laughs> tennis at the Wichita Tennis Open. That was my second Open. story. Uh, Nico Acevedo and <laughs> – oh, did I steal it from you? Good. I'm glad I went then. Merkel Delian and Nico Acevedo teaming up, winning the Men's Doubles Championship at the Wichita Open on Saturday. They play it at Coleman. That's where Wichita State typically plays a lot of their home matches. They kind of defended the home court there. Congratulations to those guys winning the doubles championship at the Wichita Tennis Open on Saturday. So I'm guessing uh, we're done with the whip around because I took your second story, yeah, right? Yeah, but you know what? I think maybe now's a good time. Actually, I'm going to shift. I'm going to pull an audible on what we talked about before this story. I'll move up one of the stories we talked about doing in sure. the editions. Let's talk about the Wichita Open, which is set to kick off on Thursday at Crestview Country Club. That would be the golf That is open, right. Of the, the, the good clarification since we were just talking tennis. Uh, so Can we just talk about right. tennis? That's right. So the Wichita uh, Open that is part of the Corn Ferry Tour um, that's really one of the biggest uh, events of the Corn Ferry Tour. One of the, it's just the fans are known to be really rowdy. It's kind of for those who maybe follow PGA, but yes. not necessarily Corn Ferry Tour. It's very comparable to the Waste Management Open, where you know it's kind of just allowed and accepted that. Yeah, that is, is that's that right. It's down in Phoenix, and it's just you know accepted that the fans are, are rowdy and loud and not your typical golf setting, and that's kind of what Wichita has built here. <laughs> Especially not that's around right. That's, that's right, at the Crestview Country Club. So uh, some big announcements with that, too. The Wichita Open, the, the purse this year, increased from 600000 to 750000 uh, for 2022. Wow. And in 2023, the purse will be a million dollars, which is that's pretty large for the Corn Ferry Tour. So so really, really yeah, exciting. Um, one of the best, you know, 
probably one of the bigger events sporting-wise that Wichita puts on that's not, you know, affiliated with one of our, our actual teams. Um, the, and they had the Augie Navarro Pro-Am, which was held uh, Monday. And it's it's a charity, you know, obviously pro-amateur style tournament in which the winner gets an automatic qualifier in into the Wichita Open. So that, that was held this Monday. And so, uh, it benefits the Wichita Junior Golf Association and, and an organization called First Tee, which I, I didn't get around to looking a little bit more more into that. But they, I know that they provide scholarships to kids um, and those kind of things that are involved with the organization. So really cool to see that, you know, Wichita being kind of on the forefront of, you know, the, I don't know, I don't know what you want to call it, the minor league of, of professional golf but it, i mean the corn trade i mean i guess i should i guess I, yeah, yeah i mean it, it you know and it's professional in its own right they make good money and it's just really the next step before these guys are on to the the the, the uh the tour themselves and the first tee is a really good organization it's a non-profit organization and it was started back in i think the 90s by tim fincham who was the commissioner at the time and let's see here. Yeah, the, the current PGA Tour commissioner is the chairman of the board, and they try to uh, build life, life skills with these players, introducing kids to the game, a life skills curriculum, self-confidence. Uh, George W. Bush is the honorary chair. Um, so they do a lot of a lot of really good things with, with that organization. And we should mention that the, KU, that the uh, Wichita Open is technically the Wichita Open benefiting KU Wichita Pediatrics. Yeah. So a great, uh, great uh, I guess, beneficiary of the tournament. Roy Turner does a fantastic job. So active in the community, has been with the Wichita Open. Back when it was the Wichita Open, then it became the became the Air Capital Classic, and of course now back to the Wichita Open, kind of the legacy name. Um, so we wish them all the best, obviously, on the Corn Ferry Tour coming up this week. Weston, we wrap things up as always. Any additions, corrections, or retractions? You know, I, I think I pitched a perfect game. I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking anything off the top of my top of my head. I'll let, I'll let you go, and then I, if, I, if I'm there's anything that I wanted to throw in there that I'm forgetting about, I'll uh, jump in. I have one addition today. Former Kansas City Chiefs linebackers coach Britt Reed yeah. pleading not guilty Monday. Uh, that was, or beg your pardon, that was actually last Monday, so the 7th. Um, that actually happened. That story broke just about an hour and a half before we actually went on the air to, not on the air technically because we're recording this, but as we were going to uh, start our recording of the show, Jackson County, Missouri judge ruled that Reed is allowed to drive. He awaits trial in the condition he has to use at ignition interlock. The reporting from the USA Today, that condition holds until uh, his trial, a July 22nd pre-trial conference is next up for him. It's a driving while intoxicating uh, intoxicated charge from a February 4th crash that caused a severe brain injury to a five-year-old girl. Ariel Young was found in the rear of the car under a seat that had folded over, transported by ambulance to Children's Mercy Hospital, fell into a coma for 11 days. Uh, family passed, uh, 11 days passed, family announced that she was awake. Reed was charged with a Class D felony, driving while intoxicated, causing serious physical injury. Young's family has said publicly that the charge was not adequate, and the USA Today reports that he was driving 84 miles per hour in a 70-mile-per-hour zone two seconds prior to the crash, and that his blood alcohol level was at .113 roughly two hours after the crash. And yes, that's about as high as it sounds. It's ridiculously high. So just an update on that. Obviously, Reed is no longer with the Chiefs, um, but thought that we should follow up on that story for you, and we'll have more next month 
apparently on what the uh, what the fate is of Andy Reid's son, Britt Reid, a former Chiefs assistant defensive coach. Oh, Blake, that is wait, all for wait. our show Hold this on. week. I, Once I again, did have an addition. I think we ought to mention Dad? this: the Kansas basketball schedule was released for the 2021-2022 season. That is Some true. notable yeah. games that I think people might be interested in. They've got uh, UTEP at the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City. They go to St. John's. They get to play at former Big 12 foe Colorado. They've got Harvard at home. They've got an ESPN Invitational field that includes Alabama, Belmont, Dayton, Drake, Iona, Miami, North Texas, and the game that everyone did not, I don't think there was much expectation for, the Missouri Tigers will it's, return to the Allen Fieldhouse. War. Border War. Border War don't is ever back. let me hear it, you carrying, calling it the Border Showdown on this show ever. It's the Border War. Border and war in Don Fambro's war, uh, words, the legendary KU football coach, it's a goddamn war, and they started it. So don't tell – I don't want to hear your political BS border war on this show. And I hope we beat Missouri by 100. By the way, they're also bringing back Late Night in the Fog, and they're going to – apparently it's going to be open to the public, no attendance restrictions. That's all October 1st in Allen Fieldhouse. So a little bit more Kansas basketball news for you Fantastic. there. Do you, know, do you know if Snoop Dogg was invited back? <laughs> Uh, with, with the new AD, I'm guessing that he's probably going in a different direction this year. Maybe <laughs> slightly more family friendly. Just, just maybe. maybe probably out, less gold maybe chains. My, maybe have out Michael Bublé, George Strait, maybe somebody like that. Yeah, some, yeah, I'm sure that'll get the, <laughs> that'll get the college age kids excited. Uh, so with that, that is our show. I do want to make one more check here of. The Wichita Thunder. Did we get a final? Did they win the game? Um, no, they're going into overtime. Wow. So, uh, trip to the second round on the line. Best of luck to you, Wichita Thunder, as they are now in overtime in that one. Coming up next week on the show, believe it or not, I think we're actually going to talk some high school sports. Big time proposal starting to get a little bit of traction around the KSHSAA. And if you're a fan of a private school, Probably going to want to tune in next week. We will also continue to document the continued downfall of the Kansas City Royals. Like we said, uh, they were down 6-1 to earlier today. Haven't checked that score. Don't really want to look. Don't really want to know. So we'll see if they were able to pull that one out of the fire next week. We will look forward to seeing you then for Episode 71. Once again, cogsports.com, cogpod.podomatic.com. Like, share, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Really appreciate the support. And... As we wrap up, as always, for our beloved audio listeners, Weston, what is your Twitter handle? At WMills94. You can find me at B-E-Crips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S, and the show is at Cockpod on Twitter. That is it for this week. For Weston Mills, like Crips here, this has been Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.